I like the phrase banana addled mind. I love that and and right after that it's the most literary reference to a fart that I've ever <laughs> read. <laughs> it's so good. Welcome to Write Night, a podcast where we pick a prompt from our discussions and interviews, set a timer, write whatever we'd like, then read it together. We'll laugh, we'll cry, sometimes we think, but most importantly we'll have fun and hopefully learn to write along the way. And we'd love for you to write along with us. Pause this podcast on my cue, write in response to the prompt, then come on back whenever you're ready. And if you're feeling it, absolutely post your responses to our subreddit rwritenight, where you can read our responses as well. So today we are joined by the illustrious, industrious Colin McLaughlin. Colin is a playwright and clown working in St. Louis, Missouri. He's worked with Patch Adams and the Gazuntite Institute traveling to Guatemala and Peru and was a hospital clown at St. Louis Children's Hospital for five years. His works include Jailbird, a play about Eugene Debs' presidential campaign while imprisoned, and has worked with Bread and Roses, Missouri in facilitating the Workers' Theater Project, a community theater that recruits union folks to write and perform plays about social and economic justice. That is so much, Colin. <laughs> We're also joined here by Xander and Connor. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. Colin, how's your evening? I'm doing good, man. I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. I'm kind of eating a banana, but it felt like a quiet enough snack that I could maybe get away with it, you know? So you had told me that your time clowning was, it was, quote, a fulfilling experience. I wanted to ask you about your time there clowning and what you gained from it. And also, what are the differences between clowning as you know it um, versus clowning as, like, my third grade nightmares would let you know? I don't know if I can apologize for the for the crimes of all clowns everywhere, but I'm going to go ahead and do so. <laughs> so I'm sorry about your third grade nightmares. I'm a clown, but I'm like, I've never worked a birthday party. I can't juggle. I can't do balloon animals. I can't ride a unicycle. Mm. Um, I have been pied in the face several times, though. But um, <laughs> if that gets me any points. But in Central and South America, folks are just way more down with, like, mask culture where you could just kind of dress like a fool and wear a red nose and people knew your intentions, which was to just be joyful, be ridiculous, be silly. And it was also just so refreshing coming from our society where vulnerability is not encouraged. Um, we're always trying to make sure that we don't seem too too dumb or too unattractive or, you know what I mean? We always yeah. have our guard up. And it felt great to just joyfully claim the bottom of the totem pole and be like, I'm going to dress like a complete idiot. I'm going to, you know, nobody, you know, just be a total goof. But if I had to define clowning for myself, it would be, I don't know if any of you have kids. Um, <laughs> I, I do not. Not yet. But play is not just how they explore and learn. It's their language. And it's like the native language of every person on earth is play. Yeah, that was that was beautifully put. Uh, I didn't think that this morning I'd be exploring the philosophy of what clowns mean to the human condition. So today's prompt is bottom of the totem pole. To those of y'all listening, we're taking 10 minutes to write a response to the prompt, so now would be a good time to pause, write whatever you'd like, and meet up with us when you've written something you're satisfied with, and take as much time as you'd like if you're totally feeling it. So the prompt is once again bottom of the totem pole. We're going to have 10 minutes to write whatever you'd like in 3, 2, 1, go. I feel like this has so much potential, I don't know where to start. I just grabbed an idea, and I'm like, well, we're, we're just gonna run with it. Let's see where it leads. I'm channeling some Graham energy today. <laughs> <laughs> Feels weird doing this not drinking. <laughs> Wait, we were supposed to not be drinking? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'll never do anything like that ever again. <laughs> what if I say please like that with a, yes. with a W? Like it, needs the, it needs the W. <laughs> Puppy talk or no dice? Whoa, the dice. Welcome to White Night. <laughs> Full on Elmer Fudd. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so that's time. Uh, does anyone want to go first? Uh, I don't mind going first. Xander, why don't we start with yours? All right. You want to introduce it and cast? So mine is Ursine Lament. Uh, can I get Toby to start us off reading the first one? Ah, uh, ah, Connor ah. on the second one, and then Colin, can you wrap up with the last two, please? Sure. Okay, without further ado, this is Ursine Lament by Xander H. Wong. Just my love. Oh, what's the tone? <laughs> it's a lamentation. What's my motivation? Uh, you're lamenting. <laughs> Isn't that how you make beer? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just my luck to be on the bottom of the totem pole. The big, st- oh no, the, <laughs> the big, strong, beefy bear stuck underneath the monkey and the wolf and the eagle up above. What did I do to deserve being carved at the bottom of this big, useless stick? All I can see is the dirt and grass and people's nasty feet as they pass. The eagle tells me stories every night of what she sees, soaring above as she does. Stories of the village, of the animals in the forest, of flesh bears hunting their prey taunt me as I watch bugs wrestling in the muck. The wolf howls at the moon on clear nights and regales the others with stories of the hunt, brought fresh to him by the hunters that prey to him and the wolves that are bound to him. All I want is to eat salmon out of a river. (laughs) (laughs) Yet here I am, stuck at the bottom of the totem pole, cursed to live vicariously through those living vicariously. (laughs) Stuck up to my eyes in thorny grass, all I can do is endure another tale of moonlight and blood. The monkey chatters all day, speaking to the humans whose eyes are level with his. All night, he relays what they say to us, believing in his banana-addled mind that we cannot (laughs) hear him gossiping on with them under the sun. We can. They never speak to me, though. Unless it be by blowing wind from their lower mouths, but those words are foul. I need to pause to laugh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, would that I were carved a monkey or a wolf or an eagle rather than endure this torment. I may be the one to be endured, to chatter on, to howl, and fly to heights unknown. Yet here I sit on the bottom of the totem pole. The end. That was violently relatable. Yeah. (laughs) That was good. I really liked that. Projecting a little too much on that one. (laughs) You went from, it was like a drama that was actually a comedy that might have been a drama. (laughs) Oh my god. Layers, that's what I aim for. It was like almost eldritch horror esque. <laughs> yeah. I like the phrase banana addled mind. Oh my god. That I love that and, and right after that it's the most literary reference to a fart that I've ever <laughs> read. <laughs> it's so good. Connor, you wanna go ahead and introduce uh, and cast? Yeah, sure. Uh so this is darkness. Um, I'll tell you what, Colin, can you read the narration? Mm-hmm. I will do the voice that only has a one-off. Let's say, Toby, can you be the voice of the narrator? Okay. And then, Xander, can you be the voice of the sheriff? Yes. Oh, boy. Without further ado, this is Darkness by Connor. I crawled around, completely boxed in on all sides. It was dark, and I could not see. What had happened? I was inside my basement when all of a sudden the power cut out and it sounded like the ceiling had collapsed. I felt surrounded by thousands of individual pieces of plastic, almost bottles. It was suffocating, so hard to move around. I realized that by pushing on some, I was able to cause small avalanches of the individual units that kept me inside this hellish cave. I caught my way in a direction. I heard faintly a noise, almost an alarm from the opposite way. I turned around and immediately continued to dig until I saw a soft light in the distance, a beacon of hope. I was so thirsty. 
My hands were bleeding and going numb. As I clawed into one section of the plastic bottles, I found something. It felt like flesh, almost like a finger, but I lived alone. How could that be? I slipped it into my pocket. Over here, there's movement. I heard faintly. All of a sudden, the wall of bottles ahead of me was pulled away, and two EMTs reached in to grab me. They took me over to their ambulance and began to check me out. The county sheriff approached me, looking apprehensive. Uh, what happened, Sheriff? I asked, dazedly. A bad accident, son. I am so surprised you were able to make it out. He replied. What do you mean? I asked, incredulously. Well, son, you've been down there for hours. That utility pole broke off, knocking over that hearse and that box truck as they both drove by. Their contents spilled all over your house, collapsing it. The sheriff said. So that's why I was surrounded by bottles of antacids, and I found that body part. I replied. Body part? He asked. I reached into my pocket, pulling out the digit I had found, and giving it to the sheriff to inspect. He smiled coyly, a gleam in his eye as the EMTs continued to patch me up. Yeah, son. I'd say you were at the bottom of the Toe Tums Bowl. The end. God damn it, When will your responses not be puns? Yeah, never. Uh, I'm so upset that I had to read that. Yeah. <laughs> no, great delivery. Great delivery, though. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, well That's done, great. Connor. Well done. All right, let's go down the line. Let's do Extinguish This Fire, which is mine. Uh, this one, I think I said I was just channeling Graham energy. It felt right. So let's have uh, Connor be the narrator. Colin, can you play Lucas? And Xander, can you play Stukas? <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> Without further ado, this is Extinguish This Fire by Toby Menanzen. The loud, stinging siren pierced the wide garage. Fireman Lucas and Fireman Stukas dropped their playing cards and looked at each other, putting on aviators. Lucas looked at Stukas and nodded. It's time to extinguish fires. Like lightning bolts, they beelined straight to the fireman's pole. Lucas leaped straight onto it, determined to slide down all smooth-like, all cool-like. What he didn't notice was that the fireman's pole was very recently replaced. His nuts were a staccato of agony. Every quarter second was another sharp slap to the scrot. <laughs> ow, 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 jeez, ow, ow, my nuts! Lucas cried. He made it to the very bottom, and with his hands massaging his dick and tenders, he looked up. <laughs> what was once a fireman's pole was a traditional Native American pole. <laughs> Stukas! Stukas, what the fuck is this? Yeah, hey... Lucas, so I replaced the fireman's bowl. I replaced it with a traditional Native American bowl. Yeah, well, I know that now, Stukas. Yeah, we're supposed to just, like, kind of climb down it now? Yeah, nobody told me. My nuts blended into a smoothie. It's a bag smoothie. Yeah, I'm not sure why I didn't tell you this before. Yeah, single warning would have been nice. Well, to be fair, it doesn't look anything remotely like a fireman's pole. I, I thought you would see it. I, I, I don't know. Okay, well, A, I had sunglasses on, and B, I don't know, a single warning would have been nice. Can you appreciate that I was just trying to be respectful of other people's cultures? I'm trying my best here, man. The year is 2021. They never made it to the house. The end. <laughs> <laughs> that was a real ride. That was... <laughs> wow. A sharp, uh, painful ride. <laughs> I feel like you can use that recording in some incriminating way. I don't know how. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Collins. <laughs> this will definitely be a tone shift. 
Cool. (laughs) I would actually love, Xander, if you want to read it, um, that'd be great. Sure, I'd love to. I think I was still just trying to find a way to define what I mean when I use the word clowning, and I just kind of told a story a little bit instead of trying to come up with some technical definition. Without further ado, this is Bottom of the Totem Pole by Colin McLaughlin. The weight of hierarchy presses on my chest. Status, power, money, climb. 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 Prove yourself. What are you worth? Hoarding nuts and berries for a winter that never arrives. There's a sweetness to the bottom of the totem pole. To joyfully claim the end of the pecking order, the jester, the fool, the clown. I have nothing to lose, nothing to prove. Dancing, playing, singing, open. Long, gray hallways, sterile, quiet, cold. The chief of medicine creases his brow, exhausted nurses sprint. I strum a banjo. Red-nosed, wild, loud, patterned pants and tie. Mother reaches her hand out of a room, waves me in. My little girl dances. Quiet, careful, but feeling, moving. The melody bobs and weaves, bounces, playing. The little girl does the ASL sign for more, but the mother says there's no time. The doctors are rounding, getting close. I take off my hat, which squeaks loudly. Farewell to both. The mother says she's never danced. I am the music behind the dance. The music behind her dance. The music that brings her dance to the surface to breathe full, clean air. I am back in the gray hallway. The doctors are frowning. I am in the way, picking a tune. I can't imagine the pressure they feel. But I know I must shake the totem pole from the bottom. The end. That was awesome. Wow. Fantastic. Colin. Yeah, that was really great. God. I feel Thanks. like I know you very well now. <laughs> able to write you. Thanks so much, man. It's like one of the biggest challenges is like this balancing act between humility and like self-worth, you know, like mm-hmm. not overstating or understating what you do or what you want to do, you know. Yeah. But... That was like a moment that I'm like, that's exactly what I want to be. I want to be the music behind the dance. I want to, you know, I want to be in the background, you know, that kind of like helps create an environment where people can be authentic. What you had wrote, what you had written is kind of a dance between poetry and prose. The, The way this writes feels like performance interwoven in day to day. Thanks so much, man. My wife shared this quote with me the other day by this wonderful gentleman, Krishnamurti. Over a hundred years ago, he said, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So I feel like the, you know, the traits of like vulnerability, connection, play, it's like those traits are not rewarded in our society. They're not. Check, check, check. Yeah. Cheese and pickle sandwich. Cheese and pickle yep. sandwich. Cheese, cheese and pickle, pickle sandwich. sandwich. Cheese and cheese and pickle, pickle sandwich. sandwich. The new cheese. Subway cheese and pickle sandwich. Segway. Eat fresh. So, Colin, uh, you were talking about the Workers' Theater Project. That's a perfect concept to me. You know, recruiting union workers and collaborating with them to, to make plays that showcase the perspective of the everyday person, specifically the everyday worker. 
I think it's awesome because it's this company is raising social awareness to an often overlooked point of view, while at the same time, it's also cultivating art. It's fostering art within the community. From your time there, what do you think or what have you found is unnoticed or underappreciated that we tend to fail to see among those working around us that we see in our day to day? Wow, this is a big question. Um, theater, um, by and large, remains fairly elitist art form. It's expensive, but also I think it has to do with the stories that are told on a lot of stages, you know, where it's, it is kind of, at least the big successful theater companies, you know, it's, it's kind of narrow, you know? And so the Workers Theater Project, one of our main goals was to broaden who is on stage and who's in the audience, like who is partaking in artistic settings, because so many people, especially working people, have been socialized you know, to believe that that's not for them. So all of our theater was free and open to the public, and I probably don't have to tell you that St. Louis is an incredibly segregated place. If you want to learn about racism, classism, sexism, St. Louis is the perfect classroom. It's just, Mm. it stares you right in the face. We were advocating for specific policy changes, but being mindful about, like, who's getting to tell the story, you know, where our company wanted to do a piece about raising the minimum wage, you know, and we have a list of facts that we want to get out there. But... What's more powerful than that is seeing a play that hands you those facts, but it's told by people that are currently working or have worked for minimum wage most of their lives. And you're hearing directly from the source them saying, kind of correcting some misconceptions, saying like the average minimum wage worker is 35 years old. We're not teenagers. You know, we have families. The average minimum wage worker works more than one job, you know? So one of the biggest things that this project imparted to me was just a sense of awe and gratitude for how long people have been fighting back against corporate greed and uh, systemic oppression. So I think this round's prompt should be directly from the source. That's directly from the source. We'll have 15 minutes. In three, two, one, go. I always spend the first three minutes sitting there going like, see, my issue is I always have an end, but then I'm like, I don't know how to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's the punchline, but where's the joke? Yep. Not to spoil anything, but I tried to write Colin, but I accidentally wrote colon, and I didn't know. <laughs> oh, don't change it. Don't change yeah, it. Yeah, leave All it right. there. It's my favorite organ, I should say. Man, I got nothing. Sometimes it just just start writing, and it'll be a mess, like a stupid, funny mess. Yeah. And then like a third of the way, I'm like, oh, that's where I can go. Yep. I literally wrote garbage until I I found how I want to set this up. Sometimes I write garbage and then have the idea, and then they just delete the first thing. Yep. I did exactly. <laughs> exactly. I got rid of my original pitch. So too is right, Nate. Colin, you gotta. Sorry, Colin. <laughs> you gotta. You gotta lean in. Colin Powell McLaughlin. Did you say it was your favorite organ? I don't know, like top five, like top. Uh, we got five more minutes. I think I'm done though. I just don't understand. If kids have knees, then why do we all have kid knees? Oh, well, <laughs> it's like teeth, right? Except we don't, we lose our baby teeth. We don't lose our kidneys. Okay, okay. So that's why I guess older people have so many knee problems because they're children. Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay, does anyone want to go first? Um. Okay, Alex. Cool. So this is in these woods. Oh, uh, ignore that top line. That was just the prompt. That is not part of it. But I'm looking at it. Stop. Ignore okay, it. All right, Stop all right, looking I, I, I was at just it. Confusing as well. Narrator, read it. You won't. Um, yeah. Can I get Colin to narrate, and can I have Toby read the the narrator when when the narrator speaks at the end? Okay. And this is a drama. Yes. Without further ado, this is In These Woods by Xander H. Wong. My home was so warm and comfortable, 
so safe and secure. A fire roared in the hearth. Is it hearth? Is that how you say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah you can yeah. say it like that. A fire roared in the hearth, but all lions must eat. As I enjoyed its warmth, the forest dwindled and fell, its trees split and burned before its very eyes. Soon there was not left of the woods, save for me in my little stone cabin and my hearth that once glowed all night long. When the trees were gone, I, I split my door upon a block and fed it too, to the gaping maw of ash and stone within my home, and like the woods, it too was gone. So now I trudge, far from home, farther now than even the forest used to reach. Long ago, a little bird, or perhaps it was a squirrel, maybe an advertisement blowing gently in the breeze, it told me there was more, another forest, this one a hundred times, a hundred times the size of mine, with woods enough to make a door and burn it too. I tried to find that bird, that deer, perhaps it was a bear, to seek this forest out, but there was no one there to ask. It's cold out here. There are no trees to shelter me, and the sun shines only dimly through the dust. My coat has grown so thin. My legs are weak to the pinching winds. The strong stone walls, the sturdy door of wood, and blazing fire upon my hearth seem so far now. Perhaps a taste of home would lift my spirits. I think, and I separate the handle from my axe and split it into kindling wood. The fire shines and showers me with warmth. Oh, the glory. And with a gust, it's out. The sun is setting and the wind is picking up. I call out to anyone, but there's no one in these woods anymore. There's no one here at all. The end. Nice. Wow. Here we go. It's a good hit. Did you, um that one thing that I read, did you put that in iambic pentameter on purpose with, a, with an end foot? Oh, wait, which one? <laughs> Perhaps a taste of home would lift my spirit. <laughs> uh, that was not conscious. That was oh not uh, my too much Shakespeare, Lord. man. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I've been reading. Uh, I've been reading a lot of Shakespeare these That's days. <laughs> What's the? What was the primary motivation? I think it, it was just sort of like listening to Colin talking about like things that are ignored and just sort of like problems with society in general. Um, I think the the idea of like directly from the source. Uh, the, the original idea was that was to write about like a, a guy who was going to to cut down the last tree in the world, and I c- kind of went away from that. But it was just just sort of like the idea of of pumping so much out of the world and taking so much directly from the source that that there is no source anymore. God, wow, yeah. Wow, well, anything man. anything that close to the Lorax is yeah, <laughs> it's good for me. This is if the anti Lorax. Yeah. <laughs> I spoke for the trees. The Norax. <laughs> we could get Danny DeVito to read this. It would be ideal. Oh my god, that's that's the dream goal: getting Danny DeVito on here. Just do the the iambic pentameter line. <laughs> the rest is calling. Just Danny DeVito for that line. Perhaps a taste of home <laughs> would lift my spirit. Exactly. The, the the biggest plot twist ever. You you think it's just this nice poetic Colin who's speaking, and then all along it was actually Danny DeVito. <laughs> oh man. That was wonderful, Xander. That definitely oh, thank you. gave me some chills. Yeah, that was that was wonderful. Does anyone want to go next? I would actually love to go next because Sweet. I, I hate to, to prejudge, but I feel like mine will probably in tone be closer to this and then we can ease into maybe some lighter stuff. Thanks. Very wise. That you're gonna be like, I'm gonna go next because I, I don't want to prejudge, but I think mine is gonna be a lot better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is is just called Directly from the Source, and Toby, would you like to read this for me? Sure, top to bottom. Top to bottom, dude. You got it. Without further ado, 
This is directly from the source by Colin McLaughlin. St. Louis has its lion-hearted community elders and its predatory corporations. We have despair, we have hope, we are falling apart. New roots pushing through soil. Cross Del Mar, and the life expectancy drops by a third. Out in the county, three of the richest municipalities in the country. Abstract facts to me, lived experience of others. Listen to the old stories about strike lines, walkouts, sit-ins, boycotts, protests. How long good people have been raising hell. Truth to power, power to the people, rolling the boulder up a mountain an inch at a time. Everyday people, not because they were the most prepared, qualified, because they felt morally compelled to be a part of the solution. Maybe we are rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. If that's true, if this is the last dance, there's only now. End times and new times, both and. Working people, calloused hands, sweat and blood, a satisfied gleam. They will tell you what the world is. The end. Wow, that Colin, that was that was so good. Love it. I love the Titanic stanza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was really really good. So Del Mar is is that a river or is that a street? I kind of didn't specify what I was referencing, but um, the Del Mar Divide is this kind of like world famous obscenity in St. Louis, where on one side that's majority white, it's very wealthy, and there's so many businesses, and it's you know, and then on the other side it's 98% African American, and the the health disparities are just so immediate, like you know, so for 50 years everyone has been like this is despicable, you know, yeah, and it hasn't changed. In fact, it's you know kind of gotten worse, but it, you know, there's a lot of despair on that side, but there's also so much incredible hope and connection and, you know, stories and community elders. So it's, you know, it's both. Hey, man, we're all learning. We're, we've learned so much in these past two hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Connor, do you want to go next? Do you mind going uh, I'd actually prefer to go last if that's fine. Sweet. Yeah. To preface this, uh, okay, so this is more of a stage play. Um, mm-hmm. I know we were talking about some hard-hitting conversations, but Colin, can you play Colin? Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> I would love to. And then Connor, can you play Connor? This is written as a stage play, so there will be no narrator. Um, the pacing is more rapid fire, similar yeah. to who's on first, um, a bit <laughs> wackier, very sketch style. As soon as I saw the spacing of like Connor Colin, I was like, oh, this is this is a who's on first pacing. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Without further ado, this is I Heard by Toby Mananzen. Did you hear? Oh, I heard. That Xander was canoodling with someone in his hatchback out back in the outback? On his back? Yeah. Back up, back up. <laughs> Is that a position? Yes, but I meant wait a sec. Who told you that? Well, Sandra told me, who was told by Mitch, who overheard it from Lucas, and Stukas, who heard it from you. And where did I get it from? Well, you got it from Mitch, who told the mysterious canoodler, who then canoodles with Xander in his hatchback. Out back? Out back, on the outback, on his back, and back up. Back up the position? The position. I heard the position was made up by Johan Backup, invented in Australia as a means to guarantee the birth of a baby boy. <laughs> I heard the position was invented by Quasimodo, as he could not otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you hear that? I got it from Xander when he was canoodling me in the hatchback. Out back? On my back. Wow. Good to hear it directly from the source. The end. (laughs) (laughs) That was absurd. I 
loved it. <laughs> it started from the sentence that Xander was canoodling with someone in his hatchback out back in the outback. All right, I, I don't know where to go from. We're gonna keep writing. I was hoping to write until I found my real idea, but it kept going, and I was like, all right, I guess. <laughs> I guess this is the real idea. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Man. You're like, oh, I got two minutes left. I better uh, just commit now. <laughs> what wasn't rearranging chairs on the Titanic? You, no, you, the moment was now, Toby. No, it was <laughs> canoodling <laughs> some of the hatchback out back in the outback. <laughs> So I was canoodling with Colin. Yeah, you were canoodling with my Col- hatchback out back in the outback. With, with Colin's Colin in the hatchback out back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Connie, you want to take us home? Yeah, let's head on home. So um, I will read the only line of dialogue at the very end, um, and let's go with Colin. Let's let's see how you how you sell this character. I'll have you be the narrator. Ooh. This is the absolute opposite. <laughs> Of everything that you've been saying to support today. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Without without further ado, this is directly from the source by Connor. I have always been an enthusiast. Whether that be bourbon, extreme sports, or animals, I always go all in 100% of the time. With daddy's money, of course. I've enjoyed... (laughs) $200 bottles of wine, daily driven sports cars with supermodels, and adopted every animal in humane shelters and let them roam around my small house. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as big as Daddy's mansion, but the 20 acres is enough for the animals, I would think. I recently read that the purest water on Earth is at the top of a large mountain in Central Asia. I knew what had to be done. I had to get this water and taste it. I flew out on my Daddy's plane and brought my childhood butler, Stefan. He set up my tent during every night of the hike. Some days he would beg to be let in as the wind was biting cold. But I can't sleep in the same room as others because I'm an adult. Who does that? Go get your own tents, Stefan. As we crested the last part of the hike, the frozen tundra gave way to an idyllic green clearing at the top of the mountain. Stefan shook from the toll the trip had taken on his body and set the pack of my supplies down on the ground. He, <laughs> he shuddered and went still. <laughs> what a lazy bones. I don't know why daddy pays him. <laughs> Each of the leaves held pooled water on them. There it was, my ultimate goal. I picked the largest one in the center of the clearing and approached it. I held my water bottle up to the leaf, having it drip its pooled water into the bottle. I prepared to taste the purest water the earth could make. I put the bottle to my lips took a long, hard drink to slake my thirst. This, I said out loud in disbelief, tastes terrible. The other Mountain Dew is better. I went home. What a wasted trip. <sighs> the end. <laughs> mm. hmm <laughs> The worst part about that is I, I want Mountain Dew now. <laughs> I want to go to the 7-Eleven and get some Mountain Dew. Oh, oh man. Dude, Damn yeah. you product placement. <laughs> Damn you product placement. Brought to you by Baja Blast. Yeah. <laughs> you know how um, when you take your cup and fill up every soda, it's called a suicide? Uh-huh. I think if you get the, all three flavors of Mountain Dew, it should be called a triple homicide. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, I definitely could plug a couple organizations you know we talked about the workers theater project which is a project of red and roses missouri or you can email them to learn more if you're ever in st louis to come see it or we have some stuff online i definitely suggest visiting gesundheit institute's website it's hilarious it's wonderful you can learn more donate or just kind of learn and explore 
Thanks for listening to Write Night. Be sure to submit your responses to our subreddit, rwritenight. Night is spelled right, N-I-T-E. Or even just come on down to chat. Music by Banister Chava, and thanks to our guest, Colin McLaughlin. It was great hanging out with you. I'm looking forward to reading what you guys whipped up. I'm Toby Menanzen. This is Write Night, and I hope to see what y'all wrote. Thanks.